Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. Mike, what are we talking about today? Uh, I think we're going to try and explain what the black line is. You, uh, we were having a conversation recently and, and you went through this whole diatribe about the black line. I thought it was interesting. So let's, let's chat about that. The name of the show, the black line between sales and marketing. Yep. So uh, we're going to come right out of the gate and we're going to see how many people we can offend on our first show. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, that old phrase, equal opportunity offender. Um, so I, I, I came to a realization over the last nine months. Um, and, and in fairness to my team, because that's where the realization began, um, I, I, I just found this to be incredibly true across, across the board. So there's like, there's no judgment in what I'm about to say, but it, 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 understanding it goes a long way to creating sales alignment, which is a lot of what, you know, ultimately the show is about. Um, what I realized, and it was actually a conversation that we were having internally about what we call one of our clients' epics. And, and the conversation came, what part of the funnel were, were we impacting? What, what was the metric that we were looking to drive? What was the key, you know, the key result that we were going to, we were going to go for. And this was a client that, that had a fairly developed top of the funnel. Um, and, and what we really needed to do was, was to create more valuable conversations to get sales opportunities started. And, and in the nature of the conversation, as we were talking about things, um, there, there, there very quickly became a, a, a real misalignment between what I was talking about and what, and what my people were talking about. And, and what became clear to me was that they really didn't understand what, what happens in the sales process. Like once it got below a certain level of, of the funnel, if you will, they just, it just became kind of a black box, a black hole. It, it, it wasn't that they it wasn't that they thought the wrong things happened. So it wasn't like they were wrong. It was they just, just, they just didn't know. They just didn't know. It was like right. there were words there and they knew the words, but they just, it didn't mean anything. So they couldn't draw conclusions there. They, they understood awareness. They understood traffic. They understood engagement, but they didn't understand the meat of, of, of the beginning of a sales process. Um, and, and I had that observation. And, and at first, frankly, I was a little bit frustrated. I'm like, holy cow, we're, we, I mean, you know, you know us, Mike, we started off as a sales advisory company. It was like, you know, what in the world? And, and then what I realized is I began to talk to more and more marketers and, and really see what they were doing is I've come to, to understand or believe that there's like this black line. It, it, it's different for every marketer, but it's somewhere towards the top of the funnel that, that once you go below that line, they, it's just, it's all black. It's like, it might as well almost not even exist. They just don't think that, right? Yep. And so, you know, being the sales-oriented guy I was, I'm like, well, that's the, that's the weakness of marketers. That's, that's what they have to work on. Then a couple months ago, I was working with a client. And, and, and this client actually is working with, um, they, they were working with another company um, and actually a well-known guy in this, on the sales side um, who was helping them build out their sales development process. And I was actually really looking forward to work with this guy because, you know, we do that, but 
you know, always open to learn. And, and, and this guy had a, you know, good to great reputation. I'm like, Hey, this is going to be really cool. We'll, you know, we'll take the marketing side. We'll pick up some pieces here. I'll have my own little soft way to compare. Um, and so, you know, this is a company that's really trying to build a, a, a new type of product, a new type of offering. And, and so top of the funnel was like the huge issue for them. They, you know, no one's paying attention. They don't, they're not talking to the right people. And, and so they've got this new, this new type of proposition. It's just, it's not, it's not tracking because people just don't understand it. It's just not resonating with it, with their yeah, own. Yeah. Cause it's like, I mean, you know, I, I, I call it the, uh, I call it the uh, gods must be crazy effect, right? It's like this Coke bottle that fell down from the sky and they're like, Oh, huh. It must be a, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so we're talking about it and I got to tell you, because I'm not going to share the name, I can say that he was an idiot talking about the top of the funnel. Light bulb. Boom. Yeah, just just poof. And and I realized, I'm like, if we're not talking about the sale, he just doesn't get it. And then I began to realize, wait, this isn't unusual. And, and so I, I discovered and have confirmed in a number of conversations that for the vast majority of sales executives, there's a black line. It's different for everybody. It's somewhere towards the bottom of the funnel. That once you get above that black line, sales executives just don't get it. They don't understand it. It doesn't have rhyme or reason to them. And so what you have then this whole idea of the black line of between sales and marketing is there's this black space between sales and marketing that that's just totally mysterious, totally outside the mindset of, of these two different parties. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I mean, I oftentimes ask the question, how can sales executives, business owners not understand the role of digital marketing, inbound marketing, demand generation? You know, why are they still hire more salespeople, hire more salespeople? You know, we're missing quota. All of our reps miss quota. What should we do? Let's go out and hire more salespeople. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the same could be said of engineering, you know, people that, that have an engineering background that are CEOs, founders of companies, they don't understand sales and therefore, you know, they, they don't understand. Yeah, sales. They don't understand much of anything. It's <laughs> about to get a, write a product and let us build the better mousetrap. Right. Um, and, and, and so, you know, then, but then you talk to marketers and you talk to marketers about sales problems, right? And, yep. and what do they do? They go, Hey, we're, we're going to drive more traffic to the website. Okay. Well, when, when will that turn into revenue? Right. We're gonna, right. we're going to do social media. Hey, we, we, we've increased the number of likes that we have. We're, I mean, I love it. I talk to, to marketing people. Ellen, don't take offense. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, Hey, we, we're getting a lot of traction on our social media. Oh, really? What's happening? Well, we're getting a lot more likes. I'm sorry. Are you not aware that most people who like something actually never even read what it was that they, <laughs> they liked? Um, hence, hence fake news, right? And so there's this, you know, so we ta everyone talks about sales and marketing. Sorry, sales and marketing alignment. And, and the problem is, they, like, it's beyond they speak different languages, yeah, when you, I mean, when you don't understand something, you start to throw blame or you just don't want to immerse yourself in it. Yeah, you've got, you've got, and that, that actually goes to the, the CEB study. Do you know about this one? They, they interviewed no. hundreds to thousands of people on both the sales side and the marketing side. Uh, and, and basically what the deal was, um, was describe, like sales, the sales side described marketers and the marketing side described sales people and sales executives. Yeah. 86% of the words that were used to for one discipline to describe the other was negative. Um, 
sales it's calls. It's a little scary of a high number, but. Sales call, you know, referred to the head of marketing as the uh, um, chief arts and crafts officer. Yeah. Um, we, we do a lot of work in the apartment multifamily space. Um, we, we've, heard, we've heard marketing called um, chief balloon buyers, chief sign spinner hirers. Right. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a sign. I saw. I saw those guys spin signs. signs. Yeah. <laughs> I saw an awesome side spinner the other day. It was. I. It was incredible. Um, you know they have competitions, by the way, yeah, on, yeah. on spinners. And so, um, you know they they just so they, they they never connected. Then you know of course you got marketing on the sales side. So you got all these things that go on. And and, and what's fascinating to me is, look at the spend today. Look at how much money is being spent on content, on websites, on on lead gen. Um, everyone keeps talking about there's going to be a million fewer salespeople in like eight years. But I don't know about you. Like everybody's hiring salespeople. salespeople. And lots of them. Yeah. And, and like I, I had a I had a friend who was out in Silicon Valley. He was telling me about sales development reps out in Silicon Valley. They're getting like tens of thousand dollars signing bonuses. They're, 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 they're literally SDRs apparently that are going from from one startup to the next startup to the next startup and, and basically just banking their signing bonuses. And you know, it's, it's more valuable than the stock options. Getting the VCs funny money, but yeah, <laughs> you, you, can, know? you get it. And, and, and so you have all those things that are there and, and you know, money's being spent, but very, very few companies are actually getting the traction and the return from those investments. Um, and, and what I, what they keep trying to do, from, from my perspective, and I'm curious your take on this, is they keep trying to do more of the same. Like if some is good, more must be better. Right. Um, and, and they, it's like, I, I hit, I hit my head into a wall. Well, maybe if I hit my head into the wall harder, I'll make progress. Right. And, and so everyone keeps talking about sales and marketing alignment. And, 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 it, you know, it's interesting for you from your background and, um, because you're a sales guy like I am. Yeah. You're an enterprise sales guy. Um, Whatever right, that e means. Yeah. EMC guy, right? Do I remember yeah. that correctly? Uh, I, I, I did spend some time at EMC, but I didn't do good in that, in that big, world order. <laughs> yeah. big world order. But you saw it. Yeah. Um, I made a lot of money on EMC back when I was a financial advisor. Side note, sorry. <laughs> and, you know, so, so you've seen that, and now you're, you know, now you're squarely in the marketing space. And so all this conversation about alignment and, and, and the importance of it, but very few people are getting traction. What are you seeing? So, I, I mean, I'll go back to the experience that I had when I, when I was in enterprise sales and whether it was, you know, very much a company in its infancy all the way through IPO, then ultimately through acquisition. And it, it, you just, as a salesperson, I constantly felt like they're doing the same thing over and over again. And I would use the word they, not us, they. And there, there really is kind of that black line because one, I didn't understand actually what they were doing. To me, it was a black box. And I thought it was a pretty shitty black box. It just, it wasn't working. It wasn't doing anything. Um, and so therefore, marketing felt the same way about us. But I mean, he, here's, a, here's an interesting question or point f for you, Doug, and I'd, I'd love your opinion on this. 
when you when I talk to and and I engage with salespeople, they are measured on the revenue that they bring in. And there's a lot of salespeople that they really didn't do much to get that revenue, right? Some people are right place, right time. Some people I call them really, catchers. Yes, catchers. So right place, right time. Then there are certainly people that can truly drive value for their clients. And those are the guys that consistently, I don't care what company they go to, they are successful or they have at least the most success within those, you know, within those respective organizations. So there is actually a direct way to measure is this sales rep performing? Um, whereas when, when, when you think, so when you think about marketing and what marketing is, marketing seems to me as coming into this realm is always on the defensive. Whereas salespeople are always on the offensive within an organization. They're constantly saying, hey, look at me touting their horn. You know, I just closed this deal. I'd close that deal. There's the big gong in the, you know, in the sales pit. Whereas marketing is always playing on the defensive side of, hey, I, I, I created a thousand leads last month. Uh, you know, is, isn't that good enough? So I, I don't know. And that just adds to this whole alignment problem where, Part of the organization is on the offense. Part of the organization is on the defense. So you said there's a direct way to measure salespeople, to measure sales, right? I heard that correctly? Yeah, I mean, revenue. To measure sales performance. Right, revenue. Right. And it's easiest form, revenue. Right. Um, you're, you're, you're familiar with the, uh, with the phrase, what gets measured gets improved, what gets measured gets done? Yep. Um, are you familiar with the... Um, um, uh, the corollary to that rule that basically says what is easy to measure is bullshit. <laughs> um, so part of the problem is it, it goes back to the two parts of what you said. Um, sales reps get measured, get rewarded because they caught it. They were yes. there when it happened. Very few people know why it happened. Very few people right. measure why it happened. And it's actually really hard to measure it. I, I um, oh, attribution is, if somebody can figure out a way to do deal attribution, I mean, and, and in a realistic way, it's, it's a beautiful, it, it, but I just don't know how you, how you do it. You know, I, I think that when you get at, at, the, at the heart of sales and marketing alignment is about aligning, um, aligning the revenue journey, right? So forget about the buyer's journey if, if we can be, um, you know, company seller focused for a moment. Right. So I, years ago when I, when I was doing sales coaching and sales training, um, I was presenting to a group of CEOs and they were telling me about, you know, basically they sold a lot to the government. Um, and, you know, I was talking about all these strategies and they're like, yeah, this all sounds great, but you know, we, you know, every piece of business that we get goes through RFP and there's no way we can sell around the RFP because, you know, the government requires it. So like, there's no, there's no selling around it. And I said, oh yeah, okay. I, I get that. I said, let me ask you this question. Um, how are your salespeople compensated? It's base plus, you know, commission. What drives the commission? Close business. And I said, here's the problem. You're rewarding them for the wrong thing, right? Because they have nothing to do with winning an RFP. A salesperson has nothing to do with winning an RFP. Operations has something to do with winning an RFP. Salespeople have nothing to do with it. And I said, so the problem is they keep running around looking for the RFPs that are out there, right? Because that's how they make money. I said, what you need to do is reward your salespeople for causing RFPs. 
which one of your salespeople goes out and has conversations with the program manager within an agency that helps them realize that something's not working the way they want it to work. And holy cow, we need to do things differently. Wow. We need to go to RFP. And all of that happened 12 months ago. So, Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and so what you need to do is know what's your win right now. What, what is the value of being the, the, the initiator of an RFP? You're not going to win hundred percent of them. Right. And there's time value of money, et cetera. But, but the truth of the matter is you're, you know, it's, it's like your dog performs a trick and then 12 hours later you give them a biscuit because of the trick that they did 12 hours earlier. Right. And, and it happened to be that they took a crap on the floor when, when you, when you gave them the biscuit, well, what the dog now thinks is, Oh, I got rewarded for taking a crap on the floor. Right. Um, and, and you guys, you know, I mean, it sounds like I'm, I'm saying this for effect, but, you know, when you begin to study the numbers and, and, and Mike, I know you and I are both really big fans of, of the whole Moneyball approach, but if, if you go pre Moneyball um, and, and everyone talks about spin selling and they remember spin, um, but they, what they don't remember was what, what made Huthway, Neil Rackham's company unique was they took a data backed research based approach to assessing sales performance. Right. And, and I don't know if you went through the sales training that I went through, um, I got a blog post that tells the story. Biggest trophy I ever won. I won, you know, Tom Hopkins boot camp. I recited 30 closes word for word. Man, I crushed it. I was, you know, um, closing was like voting in Chicago. Close early, close often, right? I mean, that was, you know, if you don't ask them to buy from you five times, then you haven't, then you haven't asked once. You remember all that, you know, yep. all that crap that they taught us in sales. So, I mean, we were taught it was, it was fact. You have to ask for the business at least five times if you want to win. And then Huthwaite actually researched it. And what they found was the more times you ask for the business, the less likely you are to win. Right. And all of a sudden the whole game about closing began to change. Now there was some overreaction to it and they said, you shouldn't close that, that, that was an overreaction to the data, but, but we were rewarding salespeople for the wrong thing because I ask you to buy. Typically I ask you to buy right before you buy. We go, Oh, Look, that happened really close together. Yeah, you know, there's the right. there's the credit, right? And and so what what we do is we talk to people about a concept we call what causes sales, right? And 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 so it's like not even attribution like what we're talking about. It's not you read this piece. You know, this content was in seventy. You know, someone read this piece of content seventy six percent of the time in their journey to buy. Oh wow, that piece of content must be, you know you know, the rock star content. And I'm, we just I'm need to get that content into more people. Yeah. We just need to get the content yeah. into more hands. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not true. And, and frankly, who cares? But, but what causes sales says what happens, you know, what, and, and, and if you think about it, there's kind of, there's typically two to three inflection points that, that are between, I'm not thinking about the issue one way or the other. And, um, and wow, I need to, I need to spend some money to get somebody to, to give me something. Um, so like for us in, in our early days, one of the things that we realized was it was crucially important that a company came to the conclusion that their sales model, their sales approach was not sustainable. That if we could get somebody to get that, if we could get that thought in their head, if that could happen, then, then the likelihood of us being able to get business from that person um, went much higher. Um, and, and so one of the things that, that, that actually led to us creating 
one of the most effective questions we've ever asked in sales. Um, and we ask it to this day, which is what's your biggest barrier to growth? Right. And, and, and people don't always think about that, but if we can begin to get you talking about the barriers to growth, we know that you have to identify that to cause sales. So if you look at what we do from a content standpoint and what we do from a sales standpoint, you're going to see that we're doing it. Right. Then later we go through a process that we do with clients called mapping the alpha journey, where we really go through what's the mindset of people. Um, and we had this aha moment in, in, as we mapped our alpha journey and it was like an alpha, it was like a aha moment to the point where I, you know, it was more of a slap my, myself in the head moment because I go, wow, this is so bloody obvious. How, how did we miss it? And what we realized was, and actually we looked at a couple things. We looked at what, what were the successful paths to sale, but also because we're in a service business. Um, and, and I guess it's true for you too, because even though you're a product business, we also looked at what, not only what led to the process of, of, of winning the business, but also what led to the best outcomes, what led to, they were a good client. Um, they didn't cause too many problems. We were able to get good results for them. They, they hit our targets for lifetime value, all those things. So, so we wanted to look at it all the way through. And what we learned was, and, and think about this, I'm your sales guy. You get a phone call that says, Hey, Hey Mike, I heard about you. Um, I heard your agency is wonderful. I hear you're doing all these great things. Um, we have a sales problem. Bob, who's worked with you, told me you can fix the problem. Um, can I work with you? Right, like rate that on a quality of one to 10, 10 being absolutely outstanding. Rate that, rate the quality of that, of that inquiry. So I would say at that point, it's uh, five at best. I, I, so I, you're too smart. How would most salespeople rate it? Like the guy's calling up saying, oh, oh, I want to buy from you. Know, they did, well, it, it, it's what I call happy years. You know, once you have, when you have happy years on, then as soon as you hear good news, you, you stop, you, you don't, you don't dive deeper and try to drive in, you know, well, one, are you going to be a good client for me Two, mm -hmm. and I truly add value to you. And so we won that business, man. It was like, it was like, you know, the fish were jumping out of the boat and landed in my canoe. And I said, look at me, I'm an expert angler. I think I'm an inner fishing competition, right? Um, <laughs> What, what, one of my things says, you know, one of my phrases is just because the fish are jumping in the boat doesn't mean you're an expert fisherman. Right. Um, and, and so what we found was they never actually stopped to figure out what was wrong with their situation. So, so they would buy from us because they heard we were this wonderful solution. But then we would start telling them all the stuff that they needed to change and how they need to do this differently. And here we need to spend money there. And they're like, well, I don't really think I need to do that. I don't, I don't think that's the right thing. And, and I would be like, I'm sorry, who's the one that has the sales problem? I thought that was you. I thought you came to me because you had the problem. What, what we realized was that our best opportunities, either on their own or through our process, really stopped and assessed their current situation. Right. And, and they, they came to a conclusion and made a decision that their current approach was not sufficient and they needed to make material changes. It was like, duh, they assess. Right. So we now have this crucial um, piece and, and you'll see if anyone ever goes through our sales process, we push you onto that path. You do an assessment, right? There's no, oh, I don't need to do an assessment. I already understand this. Okay, great. Then the assessment's gonna be really easy because you've already got that conclusion, but you do an assessment. 
right? We know that there is an assessment that's been done so that we've identified what those key things are. And, and when that happens, our win rate is much higher, our resources are much better. And so, you know, our sales development rep, they're not responsible for getting the assessment, but it's like, okay, here's the type of people that we want to have have an assessment. They're rewarded on getting it to there. And I'm comfortable paying them for that, even though it's not revenue, because I know if you can get X number of people to, to this point that fit a profile, then Y yep. number will do an assessment. And if Y number do an assessment, then Z will, will, will buy. Right. And now everything that we do from a sales and marketing standpoint is, you know, instead of trying to sell you our product, instead of trying to sell you our service, what we really sell you is our path. Right. And so we have this path, this alpha journey of how do you make a smart decision? And, and if we can get you out of the woods onto the path, then the markers are on the path. It becomes the path of least resistance. And, and we're able to begin to get predictable results from that. And, and so and happy you know, and happy customers because and happy, alignment or, up front. or happier customers. Yeah. Happier. Not always, not always happy. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, when, when you, you know, I, I'm going to write a book one day. It's the, the title is going to be change my company, but don't change me. It's, <laughs> it's funny when you work with business owners and you say, okay, here's what you need to do differently. <laughs> no, right. Right. I have one client who says, everybody likes everybody else to be held accountable. <laughs> and, and so, you know, kind of going back to your question, how do you reward marketing? Well, you know, we, we do this presentation with a lot of companies. I call it how revenue is born. But I saw some stupid, I was I'm watching like a Simpsons episode and they were making fun of a how babies were born um, education video. Yeah. And, and, and it hit me. I was like, wait a second. That's what we need to teach these businesses. We need to teach them how revenue is born. And, and, and so it's funny because we're HubSpot partners. We're platinum partners with HubSpot. And our first 10 licenses, back before HubSpot was even talking about sales, our first 10 licenses we sold to a VP of sales. Matter of fact, when I met Mark Roberts and I was, um, you know, back when he was the chief revenue officer at HubSpot and I was telling him about what our client base was, he's like, how the hell are you selling this to the sales side? And I said, well, wait, what I think what he said is, how are you selling a marketing product to the sales side? He said, because we don't sell it as a marketing product. What we do is we teach them that the reason that they're not getting their revenue numbers is because they don't have good lead generation. And so we talk about lead generation, not as a marketing issue, but as a sales issue. Right. Right. Um, and, and so the, the problem is, is that too many people, and by the way, venture's the worst. I mean, private owners are bad enough because it's money oh, coming it just, out of their it, pocket. It, yeah, in the venture world, it's just throw money, throw money after bad. Like. Well, but it, they throw money and then they go, okay, well, where's the revenue? Right. And, zero, and I say, patient, it's, right. Yep, zero patients, no, right. no process, no nothing. And so, and so nobody has the data. To be able to, so like the, the attribution model, the problem is not that I can't attribute. The problem is I don't have the data to be able to assess progress, right? Imagine if I were to move to a place um, and I said, I want to plant my farm here. But when you come here, I mean, it's filled with like broken down tractors, uh, trees and weeds that are all over the place. I mean, it is just absolutely crap land. And you're like, I'm going to build my, my um, farm right here. I'm going to grow all kinds of crops. Well, if the first thing you do is plant seeds for your corn to grow, it, it ain't going to work, right? You got to clean it. You got to till it. You got to get the soil to the place. You got to plant. You got to, you, you have to do all these things. And, and, and in this case, it's probably going to be years before, um, before it actually starts producing revenue. But the process is predictable, 
right? And you can measure it. You've got, we got all our little sonar to, to see, are the seeds taking hold? Where do we need to put more water? Where, you know, all these things are going on. And, and it's a very data-backed scientific approach to, to, to changing land up, right? Well, you're a business, you're a venture company, you're just starting out, or you're a business, you've been around for 20 years and, and you really want to accelerate your growth rate. Well, well guess what? You, you've been operating in this crap land for 20 years. Do you, do you think you're going to start blogging, start sales development, and all of a sudden, you know, bam, here's yeah. the pipeline, bam, here's the, yeah. I mean, how most of your buyers take a year from the point they become aware of it to the point that they're serious about yeah, buying anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. Like people, I, the number of people who say to me, you know, we're a, we're a, what have you done for me lately type place. So, you know, we want to bring you in, but if, you know, like what are the results we can expect in the first quarter? And I go, well, tell me what you did for the last four quarters and I'll tell you what you can expect in the next quarter. Cause understand if you hire me today and you have a great quarter next quarter, it ain't cause of me. Right. I had nothing to do with it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll take credit for it. <laughs> right. But I, I, I had nothing to do with it. Um, and, and so we, 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 we bring marketing in and we judge them by the same metrics that we judge sales, which by the way, are bad metrics for how we judge sales. Yeah, to, to, to begin with. Absolutely. So the we're model change, right. We're going to have Brian Signorelli on the show um, yeah. in, 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 at some point soon. And one of the things we're going to talk with Brian about, uh, cause I got into a whole uh, debate with him on a call. One of those calls, we said, why aren't we recording this? Hey, there's my dog. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> And, and it's all about how, how salespeople are compensated, right? Um, so so, so we're, we're, we're going to get into that. But we've got we've to start understanding what really causes revenue, what, what is our funnel, how do we know where the progress is. Uh, you, you, know, you know the blog post I wrote about the only metric that really matters, or until this metric is in place, no other metric matters, you know, which is how much is your, um, you know, how, how much of your market, of your addressable market is paying attention yeah. to you. Walk into walk into a good growth company and tell them define you know show me what what your active funnel looks like right now. How do I know six months from now that your active funnel is better than it is today? They can't because they don't even know what their active funnel is today. Right. They have no means to measure. Yep. yep. Right. And so until you get those things, you cannot have sales and marketing alignment. You can't have these things firing together. Like the reason HubSpot had such great sales and marketing alignment, um, the reason Patagonia has great sales and marketing alignment. Is is because they don't they don't approach it. I mean, HubSpot has their goofy term smarted. Um, but if you talk to Mike Volpe, who who was the guy, you know, who was the marketing guy yeah, at HubSpot, yeah. he could talk to you all day about sales. We 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 could have that sales conversation. And if you talk to Mark Roberge, you could have that conversation about marketing in the top of the funnel. And 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 so the two of them, you know, iterated and and, and weaved and focused and understood the value of one another and, and, and had that commonality and built the data. I mean, the thing that got, that, that, made, that makes HubSpot the company that they are is the data that they have. And the way that they look at the data, because most organizations do have the data, they just, they, they care not to look at it. And, and, and so until you have that, you can't really, I mean, marketing is going to play on the defensive. And, and what's interesting is sales doesn't play, I mean, sales might not be playing defensive right now, but they sure as hell were in 2010. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like one of the most successful engagements we've ever had was a company that the year after working with us, they were down 40%. Right. How imagine that there's my case study. Right. right. Congratulations. They worked with us for a year and they were down 40%. Well, this was a company involved in the highway construction space in 2008 to 2009. 
And the reason it was the most, one of the most successful engagements was their comparative market was down like 70%. The CEO literally said to us, you slowed their decline. Well, we helped them understand what their core market was. What, by the way, the other thing that was interesting is while their business was down 60%, their core business was only down like 22%. The, the CEO literally said to us, we would have been out of business if we hadn't started working with you when we did, because we would have been, we would have been chasing all the right, all the wrong things. So, so the problem with sales is they play, you know, ring the bell, go on my, go on my club trips and all that other stuff when the wind's at their back. But the moment the wind's at them, well, you got to understand it's a tough market out there. And- right. I'm not getting enough leads. Right. You know, right. to, I mean, the, the excuse is just, I, I always, I always say never confuse brains with a bull market. Yeah. Right. So uh, one, one, one last point on this subject and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Cause this is something I, I heard interesting and you said something earlier that really, that really stroked my, um, my, my, my brain here. And I think it's something that, that executives have to be paying attention to. I, I learned this from uh, serious decisions the other day. Did you know that starting now there are 10,000 salespeople every day, become eligible for retirement and that's going to be true for the next 13 years 10,000 salespeople 10,000 professional salespeople are becoming eligible for retirement every day from today for 13 years so think about the brain drain now think about the employee base that's coming up right millennials aren't coming into sales like you and i came into sales yeah I mean, think about how many businesses, if you go to the CEB study on Challenger, how many salespeople are lone wolves? How the entire mid-market space, which by the way, if you get to it, like the core employment in America is yeah, mid-market companies. Mid-market, yeah. right. it's, not, it's not all you venture-backed crazy SaaS companies bringing artificial intelligence, going to change the way everyone interacts with everything. It's boring mid-market companies, right? Who, who, exist on lone wolf salespeople. Those people are gone. They're, they're on the backside of their career. And there's nobody coming up behind them that's going to be able to replace them because they're not going to do it. They're, lone wolf salespeople don't exist as much anymore. They're not, we, we don't get that mindset, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And so if you don't build, like you could get away with this. I mean, forget all the story, and which by the way is really important. Forget all the story that our buyers change. They have access to information. Forget that, you know, they can do, you know, they can do it all on their own. Let's just say that's all crap, which it's not, but let's just say it is, right? We're not going to have the sales talent to be able to sustain the way we got business. And, and that, you know, the next five years are going to be devastating if you don't bring that that marketing piece to the equation so that tomorrow's sales talent can sell with leverage. What do you think about that? You ever seen the movie Idiocracy? <laughs> I did. I have. It's, it's actually, unfortunately it's, it's, I think it was a, like a documentary of the future. Right. It, it, some of what you're saying almost reminds me of that, but it's, it's not that, you know, the next generation of salespeople are idiots. It's just that, like you said, you've got this huge number of salespeople that are just, that are moving out of the market and therefore you don't have the right marketing. You don't have the right processes. You don't have the right talent. You know, a lot of businesses are going to, are really going to 
to, to suffer. Yeah, you know, and I don't, and I want to be clear because I'm not saying that. I, yeah, the, I don't want to be. I don't want people coming in. They're not idiots. Right, 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 right. They're in a lot of ways they're a hell of a lot smarter than than right. than our lone wolves. I, I think part of the problem is we raised our kids to be too smart and too confident. Right. I mean, if you if you have a good self image, you do not go into sales. Right. Right. You, you become a lawyer. You become a doctor. You become an accountant. You become you know someone in operations. You don't go through the crap that we go through. It's like I always say, you know, salespeople. You know, we go, our, our self-images are so bad that we will climb through all kinds of crap just to get that gratification that someone says yes. Right. Right. They think we do it because of the commission. That's not really true. We do it because they go, <laughs> they said, yeah, see, I'm, I'm good. They like me. I, I'm valuable. Um, and, and again, so like if, if, if companies don't start taking this, this sales and marketing alignment, if, we, if, we, if they don't start addressing the black line between sales and marketing, they're squeezing the last dollars out of yesterday's model. And, and, and the thing that scares me is I, I just think a lot of companies don't even understand that. So hopefully this podcast will be able to help. Yeah. Wake them up. I mean, I think that's why we decided, Hey, let's, let's get together and put this thing, you know, educate the market on what's, what's happening and, you know, see if we can drive some value for these folks. There we go. All right. Let's go to point counterpoint. You know, Mike, in, in, in our previous segment, I, I, I brought up the fact that 10,000, eligible salespeople every day are going to become eligible for retirement. And I know um, you didn't have anybody retire, but you just hired a salesperson. So, you know, either because of growth or, or any number of things, if, if you're planning on growing, you're going to be needing to hire a salesperson. Tell me. Or salespeople. Yes. Um, correct. Fair enough. Um, I was afraid I said salesman or something and I yeah. like made that faux pas. Yeah. So what, so, so you're, you're the CEO, well, you're, you're the CEO of a, of a growth oriented, uh, mid-market side, you know, mid-market type company. Um, what should, what should those executives be looking for when they hire salespeople? What's the key to success? So I've kind of, uh, I've, I've learned over time of hiring people, whether that be enterprise tech salespeople, or even in, you know, entry level, the number one thing that I look for in a rep is curiosity. And the reason why I look for curiosity is if you are curious about something, you'll figure out a way to, one, you'll go, you'll be very active in learning it. So you're willing to put in the time to learn it. Uh, but two, um, it, it just shows to me that you can adapt to different things. Like you're going to be adapting to different types of customers. Somebody's going to have a personality here. Somebody's going to have a personality here. And if you're always a curious person and asking, you know, questions, you'll eventually have the aptitude to learn to say, if I'm talking to Doug, I can just speak very frank. I can be, you know, I can be an ass. Whereas if I'm talking to Sarah or Scott, I need to be very, you know, calculated in my conversations with them. So curiosity Long story short, my number one trait. That All right, well, we're, well, we're supposed to disagree in point-counterpoint. We're supposed to debate. So, you know, when you say something that I agree with, it makes it hard to debate. But I'm willing to rise to the challenge. All right, there you go. Come on. So, so, so let, me, let me challenge you from the seat of, of, of somebody who has to hire salespeople. Um, yeah, okay, I get a curiosity. Yeah, I want, I want my people to be curious. How, how do I figure out if they're curious? How, how do you... How do you assess curiosity? So I think you can, you can do it a number of ways. I mean, one, based on the questions that they ask you through the interview process. 
versus, you know, the, there's a lot of people that just ask kind of those standard type questions along the way. How much are they questioning you? And I used to do this a lot when I was interviewing for jobs is I always wanted to turn myself into the interviewer versus the interviewee. Um, so if, if you start to recognize that they're turning, if, if the tables are turning, that's one thing that shows me that they're very curious. Um, one of the things that I also did was for this particular role, I wanted to see the aptitude of how quickly they could learn and were they really curious in learning because, and, and, and so what I had the, what I had a few candidates do was I said, Hey, write me a blog post about this. And I then could tell based on the amount of research that they did, the amount of, you know, I had some people that were like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Well, eventually I'm just gonna, th they were right out of the funnel immediately. Um, but I, I thought it was a good approach to see, hey, how much does this person, one, already understand? Because I, I just had an interview with them. So I, I, I know how much research they did before they came to this, to this interview based on their questions. But then based on the blog post that I had them write, I could tell how much deeper they went into it, which showed me ultimately that they were curious. So I, I, I think you hit on a, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, go I think, ahead. I, th I think you hit on a point that, that too many people miss in an interview. I know I've, I've advised a lot of people on, on hiring salespeople. Um, I think far too many salespeople, um, you know, the, the most successful sale they ever made was the job that they had. Right. right. Um, and, and, and so what I always tell people is um, the very, very, very best that the salesperson will ever be is in the interview. Right. They are selling in the true. interview. Yep. Very true. Right. They are selling in the interview. And if they don't understand that product, then, then they're never going to understand yours. Right. And and so if you're hiring a salesperson and that person doesn't go through some kind of sales process, like, let me understand what your needs are. Then if you think that they're going to go through that process when you put it out on the street, it's, it's pretty unlikely. Yep. The, the other component that I look for when I hire a salesperson, um, and I, I want to say I've never violated this, but that's not true. Um, what I'll say is I've never violated this and been happy with the hire. If the salesperson doesn't ask me a question that makes me uncomfortable, They've never worked out. The, the only possible exception is if I'm hiring very new young salespeople, putting them in a truly defined process that they maybe haven't gotten to that stage where, where they know how to ask those questions. But like I'm, I'm interviewing somebody right now who, who could be involved at a senior level with us. Um, and, and I literally had a timer out in, in our conversation to see how long was it before he asked me a question that I was uncomfortable with. Very interesting. So now that you bring that up. I hope I didn't like this, ruin you. No, 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 no. This, this, no, no, even though you I already you, did that once. You, you, I already you, did that you once. ruined my day a few times, Doug, not just once. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, that, that, that's actually an excellent point. And I looked back on, on, on kind of the, the salespeople that I've hired, even though our, our, our new rep is, you know, fresh out of college. He, he's, he's, he's got some, some good experience in his background. But now that you just brought that up, one of the things that he actually did make me feel like in the interview, he asked me some pretty uncomfortable questions. 
and some very hard questions that I actually had to sit there and be quiet and think about. Mm -hmm. And I've never used that as a barometer or at least thought to myself to use that as a barometer as to whether or not they're going to- I know you will. I know you well enough, and, and I, I know you that if someone doesn't challenge you, then, then you don't find them all that interesting. So, so you probably have that barometer in some aspect just because that's, that, that's a natural piece to you. But, you know, I used to make, like, really bad hires because uh, I would hire the person who loved my story. I'd hire the salesperson who's like, oh, my God, Doug, that's, like, an amazing vision. I, I can't – yeah, I mean, like, I totally agree. Like, that's, like, totally right on. That's where I want to be. We're in the right – I'd be like, hey, this person gets it, Right. Yeah, she thinks I'm a genius. She, she <laughs> must be good. <laughs> you know, then they come in. I'm like, well, well why aren't you doing anything? It's like, well, well, you haven't told me what to do. Right. Or, you know, um, and and again, you know, now now you have the research on the whole challenger sale, right? If 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 you're not comfortable making some somebody else uncomfortable, and, and maybe that's the wrong term. Like, maybe I don't have to be comfortable making you uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it, right. But if it's I'm not, uncomfortable right. making you right. uncomfortable, then then we're never going to get where where we need to go. Right. Um, and, and so a couple things that I do on, on the curiosity side, um, I ask the question, how do you learn? Yep. Um, and I really listen to that because, because a lot of people, they might learn something, but they don't know how they learn. And, and in today's world of sales, if you don't know how you learn, I'm like whatever you knew yesterday, it's useless tomorrow. You know, the winning person tomorrow is going to be the person who learns better than the other person. So, so it's important to know how you learn. And then the, the other thing that I really like to ask is, I used to ask, what's the last business book that you read? Um, and I know that's a, that's a popular one. And A, the nature of blogs and everything else, people read lots of different stuff. And B, I found out I was like a total nerd in reading business books back when I asked that question. Um, and, and so what I realized is what I'm looking for is curiosity. Not, not anything specific, but just true curiosity. And so what I, what I now ask is, when's the last time you learned something new? Tell me what it was. Tell me what was interesting about it. Right. And, and, um, and that'll tell you a lot. I think about, you know, if, you know, if the last thing they learned was, was five years ago. Right. Or if they talk about what they learned and they're like, well, you know, I learned how to garden and yeah, it was like really interesting. Like if they talk about what's the last thing they learned and they don't have some passion or something, then, then that tells you a lot. Yeah. So here's the other component. And this I think is another, um, so you took curiosity, you took my number one, damn you. Um, so here's the other one, but I, but I, I say this as a double-edged sword and that's persistence. Right. I think, and actually I came across this, um, actually Eric Schmidt is who I heard it from. Persistence plus curiosity equals hiring success. Um, does someone have the stick to itiveness? I would actually maybe even add adaptable, but I will also tell you. So the two questions that I ask is: on, on yeah, But if somebody's curious, if somebody has curiosity, I think they're adaptable to, you know. And, I haven't thought about that. Yeah, but they might not be persistent. No, no, no. I, I, I'm interested to hear your 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 comments I mean, on persistence. You know, obviously, sales persistence is a key to success to successful selling. Well. So this show is about sales and marketing, you know, sales and marketing. I think in order to be successful in marketing, you also have to have persistence. And I think that's something that a lot of marketers forget is really good salespeople have a tremendous amount of persistence. I think the best marketers also have persistence, but all too often 
failure just smacks us in the face, especially on the marketing side, we all expect we want immediate results. And on the sales side, you can quickly weed out the people that if they don't get immediate results, then they're not happy. You might as well kind of yep. throw them out the door. And, and, and so I ask, cause I think people only get half of the persistence equation. And the, so the, the half of the persistence equation is, you know, the stick to itiveness is tell me about a time that you were really challenged by something and it didn't come easily to you and you really struggled and, and you really thought you weren't going to be able to do it. And, you know, how'd you get through it? What was the outcome? Right. right. So common stuff there. But here's the other one that I find very, very few people ask. When's the last time you quit something and why? Because you know what's just as bad as the salesperson or marketer who gives up too easily? Somebody to quit? No. Somebody who doesn't know when to quit. I keep pursuing, I keep going after the wrong thing, right? Like I quit a lot. Hey, I did this, I tried this out. Like I find the great salespeople, really great ones. We're totally cool on experiment. We try things and we throw it away. We try it and quit, try it and quit, try it and quit, right? We don't go, no, this is how I've done it for, you know, forever. Right. Whereas average salespeople, they will not experiment. They don't try anything. They do what they've done because that's how they, they never quit. They pursue false positives. They pursue the wrong customer. The, the reason that they can't hit their number is they spend too much time selling to the wrong people because they don't look at the right place to quit. Like there's a time to quit your prospect. There's a time to quit the lead, right? I can, I can take this time that I'm investing here. I can spend it better with somebody else. Somebody else. Right? And that, that is intelligent quitting. You know who I learned that from? Hmm. I learned that from Seth Godin. Seth Godin wrote a book called The Dip. And he talked about the fact, he said, it's not that successful people don't quit. It's that they quit strategically and they quit early right? They quit before. Most people quit when they're in the middle. So they kind of go through, right. they hit their dip and then it gets really frustrating here. And this is when they quit. Really successful people kind of go in, kind of get the temperature and go, yeah, this is the right thing or not the wrong thing. And then once they know they're in, then they're all in. Right. But so and I think persistence is knowing when to quit and when not to right. quit. It's, as the old saying goes, what, you know, there's two winners in every sale. The person that actually wins the opportunity yep. and the first person to a no. Everybody else in the opportunity is a loser. I always say finishing second in sales is the worst place to be. Yep. It costs you everything that the person that finished in first cost and <laughs> you get nothing. All right, cool. So persistence, curiosity, adaptability, um, you can teach them everything else. Love agree? it. I totally agree.